thank you for tuning in once again and welcome back to Unknown Serial Killers. If you haven't tuned in last week, we covered Billy Milligan. If you haven't already listened to it, I suggest you go check it out. You don't want to miss it. As always, viewers, discretion is advised because we're talking about violence, murder, and possible drug use. Let's jump right in and talk about Roy Whiting. Roy William Whiting was born in Horsham, West Sussex on January 26, 1958 and grew up in the town of one of six to Pamela and Charles Whiting, who divorced during the 1970s. He had five siblings, but three of them died in infancy. His surviving siblings were an older brother and younger sister. He left Isfield Community College in 1975 with no academic qualifications and over the next few years found employment in several jobs, including working as a delivery man for the local cooperative store and later working as a car mechanic and paint sprayer at a local garage. In 1986, he married Linda Booker. They separated the following year just before the birth of their son and were divorced in 1990. He also had an illegitimate daughter born around 1990 with the woman who later spoke to the media about her relationship with Whiting, who also asked her remain anonymous. On March 4th, 1995, Whiting abducted and sexually assaulted a nine-year-old girl in the Langley Green District of Crawley. He was arrested a few weeks later after a man who knew Whiting came forward after hearing that the abductor's car had been a red Ford Sierra with the Bart Simpson sticker on one of its windows, identical to the vehicle that Whiting had just sold. So that's one thing about having a car. If you have something very distinct on your car or something that's very noticeable and that makes you stick out, of course people is going to remember it. On June 23rd that year, he admitted to the charges of abducting and indecent assault and was sentenced to four years in prison. The maximum sentence for the crime was life imprisonment. However, he received a lesser sentence as credit for admitting to the crime and sparing his victim the ordeal of having to give evidence in court had the case reached a trial. A psychiatrist who assessed writing after his conviction said that he was likely to reoffend once he was released and could possibly kill his next victim. You would have thought they would have kept him in jail because of the fact that his psychiatrist said that, but they gave him the benefit of the doubt and let him go. Wadi was released from prison in November 1997, having served just over half of his four-year sentence and was one of the first people in Britain to go on the newly launched sex offenders register. He was scheduled to have been released from prison in June of that year, but had to serve an additional five months in prison for refusing to take part in a rehabilitation program for convicted sex offenders. Whiting, knowing that he would not be welcomed back in Crawley, moved some 25 miles away to Littlehampton on the West Sussex coast, where he rented a flat in St. Augustine Road. Two years later, he moved into another flat in the same road, On July 2nd, 2000, officers from Sussex Police visited his flat, making inquiries into the disappearance of Sarah Payne, who had gone missing in the Kingston-Gorse area of Littlehampton the previous evening several miles from Whiting's flat. Whiting was questioned as a part of an investigational routine as he had been placed on a sex offender's registration. The officer left Whiting's flat but was suspicious of his lack of concern for Sarah. When Whiting reappeared soon afterwards and attempted to drive away in his van, 
he was stopped by the police and arrested. He spent two days in custody, but the police had no concrete evidence to press any charges, although they had found a receipt for fuel, a Buck Barn garage nail pole barrel, which contradicted his alibi of being at a fun fair in Hove at 5.30 and then returning to his flat by 9.30 on the night Sarah disappeared. When Whiting was released on bail, he lived with his father in Crawley while his flat in St. Augustine Road was being examined by forensic scientists. No evidence was found in Whiting's flat to suggest that Sarah had been there. On July 17, 2000, Sarah Payne's body was discovered near Polboro, some 15 miles north of Littlehampton. Roy Whiting was subsequently rearrested on July 31, 2000 on suspicion of murder. Despite Sarah's body being discovered within three miles of the service station where Whiting had brought fuel on the night Sarah disappeared, along with Whiting's failure to confirm his alibi, there was still insufficient evidence to charge him and Whiting was released without charge for a second time. Whiting had moved out of his father's house as a villagant mob gnashed the windows with bricks and now lived in a tent and woodland behind a housing estate in Crawley. On July 21, 2000, Whiting took to the road in a stolen Vauxhall Nova and was pursued by police at speeds of up to 70 miles per hour before he crashed into a parked vehicle and was arrested for dangerous driving. He was remanded in custody to appear in court two months later. On September 27, 2000, Whiting admitted taking the car and driving dangerously. He was sentenced to 22 months in prison. With Whiting in prison for car theft and dangerous driving, Detective Meanwhile carried out forensic tests on his white F-registered Fiat Ducat van, which he had purchased on June 24, 2000, exactly a week before Sarah Payne's disappeared. On February 6, 2001, following a police inquiry, Roy Whiting was charged with the murder of Sarah Payne. On February 6, 2001, Cecil's police had found enough forensic evidence on items found in the Fiat Ducat van to charge Whiting, and he appeared at Lowe's Crown Court, charged with abducting and murder. He denied the charges and was remanded in custody to await trial. He was still serving his sentence for the motoring offense at the time, and the murder charges meant that he was not released from prison for the motoring offense during the summer of 2001. Whiting's trial began on November 14, 2001 at Lowe's Crown Court, and the jury heard from several witnesses. The key witnesses included Sarah Payne's oldest brother, Lee, who had seen a scruffy-looking man with yellowish teeth drive a white van past the field where he and his siblings had been playing at the time she vanished. A female motorist had found a shoe identified as belonging to Sarah Payne in a country lane at a roadside in Coolham, several miles from where her body was found, and forensic scientists had found fibers from Whiting's van on the shoe. The damning piece of evidence was a strand of blonde hair on the t-shirt found in Whiting's van. The forensic expert who made this discovery said the DNA test results meant that there was a one in a billion chance of it belonging to anyone other than Sarah Payne. Two other motorists also reported spotting a white van near the location where Sarah Payne's body was eventually found at around 10 p.m. On July 1st, 2000, some two hours after she was last seen alive, one motorist reported seeing a vehicle matching the description of Whiting's van on a roadside track, and another reported seeing a white van pulling out of the same track onto 
that the A29 Sarah Payne's older brother Lee also gave a description of the driver of a white van he saw in the Kingstown Gorse area which resembled writing in an item of clothing which was recovered from his van after his first arrest although he had initially failed to pick Whiting out of an ID parade. A colleague of Whiting also informed the jury that Whiting had appeared cleaner and smarter than usual when he saw him shortly before his initial arrest on July 2nd, 2000, an indication that he had washed in order to destroy any forensic evidence. Sarah's older brother Lee reported seeing a van near the scene of the abduction with his rear wheel spinning. Whiting's defense argued that this could not have been his Fiat Ducat, which was front-wheel drive. 20 forensic experts were employed during the inquiry from a variety of fields, including anomaly, pathology, geology, and archaeology, environmental profiling, and oil lubricant analysis. In total, 500 items were submitted for forensic testing. It has been estimated that the cost of the investigation involved 1,000 personnel and cost more than $3 million. On December 12, 2001, Whiting was convicted of the abduction and murder of Sarah Payne and was sentenced to life imprisonment with a recommendation that he never be released. The trial judge, Mr. Justice Curtis, said that it was a rare case in which life should mean life. After Whiting was convicted, it was revealed that he was already a convicted child sex offender. This proved correct that Payne's family believed that Sarah had been killed by a child sex offender who had already committed similar offenses, which had already led to them cooperating with the media campaign led by the News of the World for public access to the sex offenders register, and well as tighter controls on sex offenders who has been released from custody. This campaign has started within days of Sarah Payne's body being found and several months before Whiting had even been charged. Whiting's previous conviction had until then been kept from the jury at the request of the police, who felt that if they had heard details of his previous conviction and he had been found guilty, it would allow him to claim that he had been convicted on the bias of an early offense rather than one of which he was being tried, paving the way for a potential successful appeal. There were renewed calls for the government to allow control public access to the sex offenders registration. This became the campaign for what is known as Sarah's Law after the introduction of Megan's Law in the United States following a similar case several years earlier. After a three-year trial period in a few police districts from 2008-2011, Sarah's Law was expanded to the entire UK in 2010. This law allows parents to ask the police if someone with regular access to their children has a record of sexual offenses. On August 4, 2002, Whiting was attacked with a razor by another prisoner while fetching hot water at HMP Wakefield. In June 2004, 2004 convicted murderer Ricky Trigus was found guilty of carrying out the slashing which left Whiting with a six-inch scar on his right cheek. Trigaski or Trigus, serving life for the murder of a disabled man in Cornwall, received a six-year sentence for the attack. In July 2011, Whiting was again attacked in prison and was stabbed in the eye. No charges were pressed by Whiting, and consequently a police investigation into the assault was not undertaken. Whiting's injuries were not life-threatening. A third attack on Whiting took place on November 8, 2018, 
when he was stabbed by two other prisoners in his cell at HMP Wakefield. He was taken to the hospital for treatment, but returned to prison shortly after in stable condition. On November 24, 2002, it was announced that Home Security, Home Secretary David Blunkett had imposed a 50-year minimum sentence on Whiting, which meant that he would not be released from prison unless he lived until at least 2051 in the age of 92. Shortly afterwards, the High Court and European Court of Human Rights ruled in favor of another convicted murderer, Anthony Anderson, who was challenging the Home Security's right to decide when or if a life sentence prisoner should be considered for parole. In June 2004, it was reported in the media that Whiting would be appealing to the High Court for his sentence to be reduced. Whiting's appeal against the ruling was finally heard on June 9, 2010 at the High Court, which now has the final say on when or if a life sentence prisoner can be considered for parole. His lawyers argued that Blunkett's decision was politically motivated as he was known for some time that he was likely to be stripped of his powers to decide on minimum terms for life sentencing prisoners and that the government was under fire from British public due to a firefighter strike arising from a pay dispute and saw the opportunity of setting a 50-year tariff for whiting as a move which would provide popular with voters due to the high profile of the crime and the fact that it was still relatively fresh in the public imagination. Shortly before the decision was announced, Myra Henley had also died. She had been a life sentence prisoner whose minimum sentence had notably been gradually increased from 25 years to a whole life tariff by a succession of home security's decision, which had led to claims from Henley and her supporters that her sentence was being increased to serve the interests of those politicals and the, governor, and the government in a similar fashion to which Whiting's lawyers argued had led to the home security citing his minimum sentence to 50 years. The high court reduced Whiting's minimum term to 40 years, bringing forward his parole date to 2041, making him eligible for parole at the age of 82. Well, I know that was like a whole mouthful, but basically he he killed an eight-year-old. Um, all the other times he got away with everything else, they just let him go because they didn't have no evidence, but I feel like they didn't search how they needed to. But, of course, they, they didn't have the right to. But um, thank you guys for tuning in this week. I really appreciate you. Hopefully, you guys can tune in next week as we uncover another unknown serial killer. As I tell you guys, be nice to people because you never know who they kill. See you guys next week.